This is Healthy Homes Podcast, a brief encouragement in your week to prioritize the relationships in your home. Thanks for listening. And welcome to another episode of Healthy Homes. I'm Pastor Luke, and I'm excited uh, to start a little bit of a series here. Um, what we're going to be doing for the next couple weeks is I'm going to share with you the recordings of a, uh, a teaching series that I did um, uh, about a year, year and a half ago uh, over Healthy Homes. This was a, a growth class here at Lakewood Park, and uh, I taught a four-week series each uh, each talk was an hour long, and um, I covered the topics of marriage, parenting, uh, creating a spiritual discipleship within your home, and creating homes that were missional. Um, I loved I loved doing this series, and I, I found that I grew so much through the study and preparation for it, um, and uh, and I just really found a lot of joy in sharing a lot of those things that that I uncovered in that process. Um, these talks are intended to be helpful and encouraging, extremely practical. Um, and I also try to be very honest and open and transparent about the shortcomings in, in my own life and, and family as well. So hopefully you find uh, an ability to relate to these things. Um, so rather than just adding in hour long lectures, I'm going to, I'm going to chop up the recordings into uh, smaller sections that will uh, just come out each week. And, um, and, and so uh, give it a listen. Um, you'll have 15 to 20 minutes for each, each clip that we'll put in here. And um, again, hopefully it's an encouragement to you and uh, there's, there's a lot that you can get from it. So uh, with all that said, enjoy. Talk about a couple of the, maybe the more significant ones. Um, and again, obviously in, in one session tonight, we cannot handle everything. Each one of these things could be in its, its own series for sure. But marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. Um, my wife and I, speaking of being an expert, I, I told you that I stand here as a, as a learner because I, I used to be an expert on marriage. <laughs> when I was getting ready to marry my beautiful bride, Oh, dear friends, I had to figure it out. Oh, I had read some books, and <laughs> come on, I'm going to be great. I'm going to serve my lady. It's going to go great. She'll obviously never get upset with me because I'm a great guy. I'll never get upset with her because she's a great gal. It's just going to be fantastic. And then you, then you get married, and you start living together, and you start to find out these idiosyncrasies that you didn't, that you didn't notice before, and, and you start to find out that, hmm, she seems to be a different person when she wakes up in the morning before coffee. And it's the same thing that happened for me with kids, and we'll save that for next week. I remember Lisa and I, oh, dear friends, I confess. I'm going to do a lot of confessing tonight because I'm a fellow learner, so I don't have to be perfect. When we were, it's a true story, I remember we used to um, be in airports, and we used to see parents with screaming kids, kids just being disrespectful. And I remember thinking, and I would say to Lisa, we will not, we will not be tolerating, tolerating that business in our home. And here we are, just, just get to the gate, just get to the gate. I wish that was a joke, but that is real life. Marriage is hard, parenting is hard, home is hard, because when we're talking about marriage, we're talking about two sinful people, two people that have selfishness ingrained within us. Two people that have pride ingrained within us. 
entering under the same home in close proximity, there will be conflict. Then on top of that, married, you're trying to get to this place that you're looking towards, maybe that, that ideal position where you can come in on half days and maybe you're working three, four days a week, but right now where you're at, you're having to put in the, the overtime, you're having to work those long hours, and it starts to take a toll on you. You're having to meet the expectations of these, these unreasonable bosses, and you're working on teams where people are just not jiving, and it's causing you a ton of stress, and then you take that stress home. And after long hours and a stressful situation, you enter into a home with someone else that in their own way has likely had a long day with stressful situations as well. Whether that's the stay-at-home mom that's been trying to keep these children godly and hair combed and is exhausted and needs a break or has been at her own job or whatever. You throw kids in the mix and oh, dot, dot, dot. You get tired you get into a rut because you're too tired to keep putting effort into it. You're, 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 you're too tired when you come home to say, for me to say, Lisa, you are my top priority. Today has been hard, but I've got more in the tank for you. We get too so tired that we quit being so intentional. And so we get into these ruts in which it's just like, Man, just, just get to bedtime. Can I just, can I just turn on some Netflix and just tune out because I don't have effort left to give? And so you get into this cycle where you're not pouring in intentionality any longer. And all of a sudden, conflict comes up and you quit trying like you used to when you were, oh dear friends, young and in love. Back when you were still trying to impress her because she wasn't locked in on marriage yet. So you still had to do your hair and clean up the shaving, and again, I stand here having not, and, 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 you know, used to do those things, but now you've given up on some of those efforts. Tension starts to rise, and you argue little things, and then those little things don't get addressed, they don't get dealt with, and so bitterness starts to pile up, and, and, and separation starts to happen, at least at least relationally, even if you're still close in proximity, you fight more and more, you fail. Fill in the blank on what that looks like. You begin to ask yourself, how did we get here? Can we fix this? And dear friends, we have good news in the scriptures. This says for any relationship and any circumstance, any marriage, no matter what the brokenness is, yes, there is hope. Because of the gospel, there is hope. And so healthy marriages, it's where we're starting at because healthy marriages are the foundation for healthy homes. Your marriage will have an impact on your kids, whether you recognize it or not. They see they're being formed, the things that they hear, this is what a wife looks like, this is what a husband looks like, this is how conflict is handled. The way it's happened by, between husband and wife will be what these kids learn and how they're formed. There are high stakes. And so we have to take it serious. And so what we're going to zoom through, we're going to hit some biblical basics for marriage. Just make sure we're all on the same page. And we're going to talk about the husbands. The wives, covenantal oneness, communication, 
intimacy. There's actually a 6.5 that I forgot to add in there. Um, And that's going to be just talking about conflict a little bit. We're going to talk about conflict more uh, in session three. Uh, but I'm going to put in a little, so- I put in a little something there, um, some practical rhythms, just like, man, let's get really, really, really practical. What can I do right now today to start putting this into practice? That's so important. And I'm going to have a ton of that. Okay. Then some homework for you guys to go do on your own time. And I would recommend that it's within 24 to 48 hours of right now. Well, well, the conversation is still hot. And then I'm going to give you a ton of extra resources. Um, and, uh, um, ways that you can continue the conversation, especially if there's a particular area um, that, that maybe was hitting close to home. So let's dive on in. A fellow by the name of John Piper, he wrote a book called This Momentary Marriage. It's right up here if you want to peek at it later. And this is one of the things that he says. Most foundationally, I love this quote, most foundationally, marriage is the doing of God. Marriage is the first relationship within humanity and creation. We're going to see that on the next slide. God created marriage. It's his doing. And ultimately, marriage is intended to be the display of God. So we have the opportunity within our marriages, especially as Christians within our marriages, to display the nature and the character of God in a unique way, especially to the world around us that has marriages in all sorts of different All different sorts of thoughts on marriage. So some biblical basics here. We're going to zoom through this. Some scripture for you. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. This is where God says uh, in creation um, that that, then he created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them in his image and likeness. And so it's really interesting in that. And that you see that the, the God creates humanity in this singular sense. And then he specifies, I created man, male, and female together, collectively, to bear the image and likeness of God. That means that the best representation of who God is, the way humanity is to display the nature and the character of God, is yes in male and yes in female, but yes together and especially within the covenant of marriage, whereas in uh, Genesis chapter 2 we'll say, where these two are one. And we start to get a little bit of a Trinitarian understanding, in which we see the Father, Son, and the Spirit, yet one God. In the same way, marriage is intended to reflect that, where you have, you have this guy and you have this girl, yet there is one with them. And so marriage is the original relationship designed by God to display complete relational wholeness within his created order. He did not start out with a husband and a son, or a father and a son, or a mother and a daughter. He started out with a husband and a wife. But then, dear friends, sadly, sadly, the story continues into chapter 3. And we come across this, this event called the fall. And we see sin come in, break into marriage. And we see that, that the conflict is, is dividing Adam and Eve, dividing this husband and this wife, putting a wedge between them, separating this union that was supposed to be inseparable. They were intended to be one, yet after the sin, we see that this wedge has driven them apart. And we see it in that they, when they were naked and unashamed in chapter 2, now in chapter 3, they look at each other with shame, 
and they seek to cover their own shame of their sinfulness with fig leaves. And then when God comes to Adam and he says, Adam, what have you done? He said, this woman. A heartbreaking line. This beautiful union between husband and wife, in which husband, husband is to protect his wife. He blames his wife and he points to her. If there's a problem here, God, that's the one you should look at. Oh, and it's a, it's a terribly sad thing. And then we see that as God brings judgment into creation because of the sin, he says, he says to Eve, one of, one of the curses that you'll experience is that your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. There's brokenness in that relationship, in that order that God created. And he says, and Adam, you're going to toil in the thorns and thistles the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles, and it is going to be hard work. And there's going to be brokenness in your relationship between you and your work. And there's something deeper there. Because I experience this, but I don't work with thorns and thistles. <laughs> there's brokenness in my work in which I, I have this proclivity to give myself to my job to maybe escape relationship, to perhaps overwork, to the neglect of my family. But my job can bring pain into my life. When it is misprioritized. We experience this. We all know. We all know the hurt. That sin has brought into marriage. But dear friends. The story is not over. There is redemption. It starts in Genesis 3.15. What is often called the first gospel. Where it says, where he says to Eve. From your seed will come one. Who will crush the head of the serpent. Yet he will bruise his heel. And we know that this is a prophecy of Jesus Christ who will come to defeat and to conquer the work of the serpent and the work of evil. And he's going to overturn it. And he's going to restore good and peace and righteousness to God's order. And then that's carried on into Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and 22 and 33 through 33. And this is a, like a go-to passage, especially for premarital counseling. Uh, you have these, these, two, ah, these two young folks, they're about to get married, let's talk about what it looks like. And you go to Ephesians 5, but within that, there's this, this, this line in which, in which uh, Paul says, this mystery, this is a mystery here. And this mystery is about how Jesus loves his church. So yes, it is about husband and wife, no doubt about it. And there's a lot to learn, and we're going to talk about it tonight. But this is about something far greater. Your marriage is about the glory of God first. And then we see the culmination of marriage in Revelation 19 at the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we see Christ and the church, God and his people gathered together, and it's called a heavenly wedding reception. Christ is undoing the work of Satan, including the brokenness in the institution of marriage. And so, if we're all sinners in this room, and we are, whether you know it or not, that means that we bring brokenness to our marriages. Different levels, different ways, different extents. But we have to remember that whatever that is that we're working on, that we're struggling with, that through the gospel message and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can grow. We can experience more fully the design that God has intended for marriage. And dear friends, that is such a hopeful thing. Man, that's, that's what keeps me going in my relationship with Lisa. Because dear friends, it is not 
perfect. I am very strong-willed and opinionated, and I'm a preacher, so I have a loud voice. My wife is the daughter of a business owner, so she's not ever wrong. And so <laughs> we know what it's like to have conflict. But I have hope that the struggles that we used to have, we don't have them in the same way anymore, but we still have struggles. And I have hope that he will continue that work in our marriage for his glory. And so I'm willing to give myself to that. And I hope you are as well. The beauty of the, uh, the way that this works is as the husband casts his eyes on God. I don't think this image showed up for some reason at one print. But um, as the husband is looking to God and seeking more of God in his life, as the wife is doing the same thing, looking to God, trying to grow in godliness, as they both are moving towards God, notice that the length of that line separating them gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so why we start with biblical foundations and why we look to the scripture when we're talking about marriages is it because if you're just looking to some marriage self-help books that are separate from God and glorifying him, when you fail each other, you're going to have problems again. But when your focus is on God and becoming the right person that God has, has called you to be, to being a godly man and a godly woman, then you continue on that trajectory even when the other one fails. And when you fail, the other one is still going on that trajectory. And there is repentance and there is reconciliation. And you both continue to grow closer and closer and closer in the process. And that's what we're after. Um, I have this here. This is a, I thought this was really helpful. Um, this is from the book The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. He's a biblical counselor. He's been doing it. Oh, he's been doing it for a super long time. Really great book. I'm going to reference this again, and then I'll talk about it when we get to additional resources. Um, but what I love about this is Ephesians 5. Uh, I'm going to shock you here for a second. Let, let me tell you all of the uh, wonderful Bible things that I learned in years of seminary here. Uh, Bible, Ephesians 5 uh, is preceded by Ephesians 1 through 4. Yeah, those are the tricks that they teach you in seminary. But Ephesians 1 through 4, we have to remember that before we get to Ephesians 5, 22. And in Ephesians 1 through 3 especially, we see this beautiful gift of salvation that God gives to his people. And he gives identity to us before we have the identity of husband and wife. Here's some of the identity that everyone in this room has apart from our marriage relationships. Husband, you are a child of God. Wife, you are a child of God. Husband, your relationship to your wife as a child of God is a fellow disciple. Likewise, wife, fellow disciple to your husband. Your responsibilities one towards the other is to walk with God. That's the same for you with everyone else in the body of Christ. Husband, you are a brother in Christ as well towards your wife. And wife, you are a sister in Christ and you are members of one another in the household of God. And your responsibility to one another is mutual sanctification, mutual growing in holiness and godliness. And then we get to Ephesians 5 and we see that husband, your role is a husband and wife, your role is a wife. Your relationship to one another in Ephesians chapter 5, as it draws from Genesis chapter 2, your relationship to one another is to be one, to be one flesh, to be indivisible in spirit, as it were. And your responsibility, husband, is to lead, to love, and to pursue that oneness at a greater level. 
And wife, your responsibility is to submit. And we'll talk about that touchy word. Submit to help and to pursue oneness. And so even when we talk about submission or when we talk about leading, when we talk about loving or when we talk about helping, we talk about it as a part of something far greater. As two individuals in the family of God, all can paid for by Jesus Christ. And what this does, when we remember the role of child of God and the role of brother in Christ, what that does is it equalizes worth and value and dignity one amongst the other. We are all the same in the eyes of God. So let's, uh, let's dive on in, fellas. Husbands, yeah. We're called in Ephesians chapter 5 to lead your wife. To lead your wife. It's in there. That's what the text says. Um, so we can talk about what that looks like, but we can't escape the fact that it says what it says. It says to love your wife. And it, as a matter of fact, well, we can say, well, I, I love my wife because I pay the bills. I love my wife uh, because uh, if someone breaks into, her, into our house, um, I'm the one that will grab the baseball bat and get after them. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't send my wife to go do that. No, she wouldn't know what to do with the baseball bat. Um, you, you, we could say that that's what it means to love your wife. And, uh, yeah, that's a part of it, but we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And it says that Christ loved the church by giving himself up for her, by laying himself down for her. So yes, that does call for your life. That if someone breaks into your home, you put yourself in front rather than having her do it. <laughs> but likely that's not going to be something that we'll have to experience. Hopefully not at all. But all of us, all of us are called to give up our lives, to give it up for our wife every single day on a daily basis. When you're tired... When you don't want to. When you're frustrated. In those times, that's when we say, I'll lay down my life because that's what God has called me to do. When the football game is on and my wife is struggling with the kids. Football game goes off and I lay down my life. And I lay down my wants and my desires to come and to serve my wife. When I've had a long day and when, oh, dear friends, dear friends, I'm in a job where I talk to people and I talk all day long. And when I get home, I don't feel like talking anymore. But, oh, I've got a beautiful woman whose love language is quality time. And she wants to talk. In my sinfulness, I come home and I don't want to. But I have the opportunity. To say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set myself aside. I'm going to lay down my tiredness, my not wanting to, and I'm going to do this because I love her. And here's, here's the reality. There's more gas in the tank, all right? I can do that. It's will I do that. And so why do we lead and why do we love as Christ loved the church? So that she, so that 
our wives may become holy and more righteous as a result of our love and our leadership within the home. I talked to one pastor, a friend of mine. I was talking to him about leadership in the church, and he had this just this phenomenal perspective. He said, leadership isn't coming up top and calling people up here. Leadership is getting down below your people and lifting them up. And we were talking about the church, but that has stuck with me, and that has helped me understand what leadership in my home looks like. It is not me saying, Lisa, this needs to get done. Kids, woo! No. It is me following the model of Jesus Christ when Jesus, near his death, took his last evening with his closest friends, got on his knees and did the work of a servant, washing their feet. For Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, coming as in the form of a servant. That's what we are called to reflect in our leadership. Our leadership is to get down low, to lift our homes up closer to God. And if our leadership does not look like that, then it doesn't look like Jesus. Your leadership should be directed towards the good of your house and the glory of God. Fellas, it's not about you. It's not about me. Love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor. And in the deepest sense, that neighbor is your wife. Before anyone else, that neighbor is your wife. Love her. All right, ladies. Here we go. Let me put this caveat out here. My beautiful bride, who is uh, just wonderful, I made her go through and give me the check mark on everything. So as I talk about wives, just know it's been approved. This is not me talking out of my own knowledge of being a wife. <laughs> Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. We live in a day and age in which that is a nasty word. Submission to many women is foul language. Because we live in a culture where the word's been mutilated, the meaning has been distorted, and biblical headship has been abused. That's truth. A lot of, a lot of men have failed at their responsibility and left some serious scars on ladies. But God's intention is good in this. He's calling for order in the same way that there is order within his own Trinitarian self. The Son submits to the Father and the Spirit submits to the Father and the Son. So submission cannot be a bad thing because submission is something that is a part of the character of God. So we ask ourselves, not is submission right or wrong, but what does biblical submission look like? It does not mean you have no voice. When I was, remember, uh, if you can remember, um, when I was an expert at marriage, when I first started, um, I just thought, all right, I'm the man of the house here. I'm going to take care of the finances lady. I'll write the checks, I'll pay the bills, all right? And so I was in charge of the finances, and so what that meant for me with all of my disorderedness and all of my lack of skills of keeping things filed in any sort of way, I started this little Google Doc, or excuse me, just a Word Doc, I don't think Google Docs were, were around then, 
this Word document, and I would just kind of type some stuff up, and I forget for a while, then I try to catch up, and we were saving nothing. And it was a point in time where we needed to be careful with our dollars. <laughs> and my wife, as I said, daughter's business owner, is detail-oriented. And she knows how to keep a list. And she knows how to make something productive. And about, oh, it must have been about five, six months into marriage, we kind of were talking about it. I was just humble because I knew that I was doing a really crummy job. I said, Lisa, like, would you want? Uh, if you don't want to, it's fine. I just thought maybe you needed something to do. <laughs> if you want to, that'd be great, you know. And she goes, yeah, I think that'd be a really good idea. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. My headship in my home, my leadership in the home, again, it's me coming underneath to lift up. And so what that means is that I see how God has wired and designed my wife. I see the skills that she has. I see the areas that she's better than me. And dear friends, there's plenty of them. And as the leader of the home, I say flourish. Go ahead. Use your gifts. And man, just make it happen in this home. The leadership means that I'm the one who will stand on account of, before God for, for my home in the ways that I suppress Lisa's gifts or in the ways that I allowed her gifts to flourish. So this does not mean you have no voice. This does not mean that he is the dictator in your home. If I'm just telling my wife what to do all day long, we're looking for a really crummy, we're looking at a really crummy marriage. Because what that means is I'm asking her to submit but I'm not loving as Christ loved the church. And that's a recipe for brokenness. This does not mean that you must do whatever he says. If, I, if any husband were ever to ask his wife to sin, she has every right to say absolutely not. To ask the children to sin, absolutely not. Because there, I am not the highest authority in my home. There is one greater than I. My wife submits to God before she, in any way, uh, I don't even like to say it would answer to me because that's just not the way it works there. And this does not mean, this, excuse me, this does mean, this does mean that the husband is the one who will stand before God on account of his home. So ladies, it means that we need help. We need your grace. Because it's a, it's a scary thought to think that I will stand before God on account of my wife and my boys because I know my failures and I know my shortcomings. I know that I'm not the man that I need to be. So I need my wife. I need her to help me. I need her to cover my gaps. That's the relationship that should be at play. Man was not good on his own. Let's remember that. In Genesis 1, God is creating and it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, good, good. The only time that it says it was not good is when God sees Adam by himself. This is not good. And so he made for him a helper. It's interesting that this uh, Hebrew word is the word azer. Uh, if you've ever sung the old hymn, here I raise my Ebenezer, Ebenezer is what we often say. The Ebenezer, it's your, the stone of help. 
And it's a reference to God being the help of Israel. Almost every single time in the rest of the Old Testament, the word azer that is attributed to the role of woman is an attribute of God. When you see God, you are my help. God came and he was help. He was the help of Israel. You are help in my distress. All of those times, it's the word azer talking about God. And so when we talk about helper, we are not saying, I needed someone to cook dinner while I brought home the big bucks. Absolutely not. It's that it was not good when I was on my own, and I need someone to bring in help in a way that reflects the way God is a help to his people. That's huge. And so, ladies, I humbly exhort that in light of Ephesians chapter 5, that you respect the decisions that are made by being an encouragement. Whether or not you agree and assuming that it's not in a sin issue, not as a nagging or a complaining wife, because Proverbs says that it is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house with a quarrelsome wife. We second-guess ourselves, even if we won't say it. We might have pride that keeps us from letting you know that we're not sure at times. So let us, to, sometimes we might not communicate to you that we're kind of scared that, on how this is going to turn out. And we need your encouragement. We need you to stand with us and to help us. That's what marriage is supposed to be about. The same team, one person. I am Lisa, and Lisa is I. <laughs> we're together. When she hurts, I hurt. When I hurt, she hurts. We need each other. We're on the same trajectory. That wraps it up for the first installment of the Healthy Homes um, lecture from a year ago on marriage. I hope that you learned something, uh, something new or, or maybe it was a reminder of something that you've heard before but maybe lost sight of. Have a conversation about this stuff with your spouse. Um, I hope you're listening to it together. And uh, tune in next week as we uh, listen to the second half of this message. Thanks. 